You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Happy Wednesday, football fans, and welcome into another edition of the Pro Football Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Signs, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I am joined by retired outside linebacker Arthur Motes and NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy to recap Week 13 and discuss the Steelers' playoff push, Ryan Tannehill's resurgence, and Ron Rivera's firing. This is the Pro Football Chase Podcast, a podcast that has featured interviews with Rams wide receiver Robert Woods. 300,000 yards, uh, and you know, last year, unfortunately, I got hurt mid mid way in the season, but other than that, just just working and grinding to, to get to this point, and uh, probably broke it with a lot of games left. Packers wide receiver Marquez Valdez Scantling. Uh, just the fact that we got a, you know, a, a all pro on the other side of the ball, um, um, so when you got a guy like that, you know, that's who's going to get the main focus. Um, obviously, you know, people start to know my name a little bit after I made a few plays here and there. Broncos offensive guard Ronald Leary. It would either have to be a counter or a pin and pull play when we get on the edge and run. Uh, I think it's always impressive when big guys can get out that stance and move and hit somebody. So. And rising stars Dalton Risner, Charles Amenahu, and Jawan Williams. This is a podcast that offers player perspectives from some well-decorated veterans, including T.J. Hushmanzada. And people will say, oh, well, is that Chris got a franchise quarterback? Uh, look, look at his record, doesn't it tells you he is. Oh, he has a great defense, he has his Ezekiel You tell me a quarterback in the entire NFL that's not time break that does more with that. Game previews, recaps, and analysis. Turn the volume up. The chase is on, and the chase is live. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome into the Pro Football Chase Podcast. It's Isaac David Sines on the line, and joining me today for a special podcast is NFL vet retired outside linebacker Arthur Motes and 
NFL defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy. So it is a three-person podcast today. So let's kick it to Arthur first. How are you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing great, man. Just enjoying a good life and glad to be on the podcast with you two guys today. All right. How about you, Jarrell? How you cooking, man? Man, I'm excited. It's a beautiful day down here in Georgia, as always. It's a lot better weather than up north, so I'm always uh, I'm always good when the sun is shining, man. <laughs> I got you, man, and we're rolling in December, December 4th. We're already entering week 14 of the NFL season, and so a lot to digest today with two NFL players who have been around the game. Looking forward to picking your brain on some of these topics, but as we always do on the Pro Football Chase podcast, We have the Offensive Player of the Week to go along with Defensive Player. So I'll go first, all right, before I toss it to Arthur and then Jarrell will follow. Offensive Player of Week 13, so to kind of put a bow on last week, I got to give it to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know Jarrell, he's your boy. Fitz Magic, he completely went out. He pulled the upset against the Philadelphia Eagles, 37-31. We're talking 365 yards, three touchdowns, 69.2 completion percentage. He threw a pick on his first pass, but he was flawless from that point on. So, Arthur, I'll now turn it to you. Who was your standout player on offense? See, you must have been in my notes, man, because I definitely had my guy Ryan Fitz Magic. In fact, I take it back to my days with him in Buffalo, so you know I have a, a certain level of love for that young man. But, man, when you talk about his numbers, when you talk about what he was able to do versus the Eagles team that were in a must-win situation, he took that Dolphins team and, like I said, orchestrated a beautiful win, an awesome performance. It was one of those just vintage fits magic performances that we all come to love when we talk about him. Uh, for me personally, it's uh, it's going to be another underdog team, um, the Washington Redskins, and what Derek Geis was able to do against the Carolina Panthers. Um, Ten carries, 120, uh, 29 yards, two touchdowns. Overall, the, the Washington Redskins had uh, over 200 yards rushing against a team that desperately needed a win, uh, resulting in the firing of their head coach. And so um, I tip my hat to the offensive line of, Was- of the Washington Redskins and uh, Derek Geis for coming out there and, and putting on a hell of a display. Yeah, indeed. And the cool thing about Darius Geis is he's faced some injuries throughout his young career. And so being able to bounce back, I think that was really cool. But yeah, Arthur, it looks like you and I had the same pick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, going off against those Philadelphia Eagles. But just like that, as I remember both of y'all at certain times dogging me about not showing defense enough love. So we'll go ahead and go to the defensive side of the ball and talk about we go. the defensive player of Week 13. So why don't you go first, Arthur, and then Jarrell, you can follow, and then I'll go after y'all. All right. Well, for me, man, I got to start right down there in the south of New Orleans, man, Cameron Jordan. We saw the performance he put on on Thanksgiving, prime time, six tackles, four sacks. I mean, he was unblockable out there and virtually ended the game versus the Falcons, man, just because of how disruptive he was. And the thing that I loved about his performance was it's easier sometimes when you're the unknown guy. But when you are Cameron Jordan, when you're a pro bowler, all pro, you're going to get attention. People know what you can do. But the fact that he was still able to go out there and still have that crazy impact and do it in one of those big games for the Saints, I thought that that was definitely going to be my guy for the player of the week. All right, well, so for my guy, um, another Thanksgiving Day uh, type of performance. Um, came against your Cowboys, man, Ed Oliver. Oh, um, had yeah. A four, yeah. Four, yeah. Four, four total tackles. 
uh, two sacks, man, had a pass breakup and uh, just was constant pressure on the quarterback, man, forced fumbles everywhere and uh, have an opportunity to impact the game in the trenches. Um, when you talk about Dallas and you talk about what they bring to the table, their brute running game, the Ezekiel Elliott, the tough nose offensive line, um, and you speak about, you know, the Buffalo Bills and the history that, they, that they've that they had in major games, especially, you know, Thanksgiving, um, you know, being on the big stage and, and having opportunities to come up short. Um, the performance that this defense collectively put on uh, on Thanksgiving was impressive, but Ed Oliver being a rookie coming in and and, uh, and just seeing his transition to the quarterback was very impressive for me. Yeah, Ed Oliver was actually a contender for me to choose just because he was so dominant, of course, watching him on Thursday. It wasn't fun for me seeing him tear up that Cowboys offensive line. But uh, nonetheless, man, my defensive player of the week, and I know Arthur's going to be fired up about this selection, but how about Bud Dupree? He completely wrecked the Browns on Sunday. Six total tackles, one and a half sacks, four solo, one and a half tackles for loss, one pass defense, and two quarterback hits. He was all over Baker Mayfield. And one Uh thing about Bud Dupree is that he is on a contract year, so he is going to get paid come March. And, you know, Bud Dupree, man, this guy has kind of been under the radar, was a first-round pick. But it looks like he's really starting to show out. And I remember, Arthur, you and I talking about him a couple of podcasts ago. But, man, it really looks like he's gotten going this season. Yeah, he definitely has, man. We talk about a guy that you watch on film his first couple of years. You would see the potential, but the productivity wasn't matching it. Now everything has come together for him. Mentally, he's at a way better place in terms of on the field, play recognition. And now, man, he's just those sacks that were coming close are actually being finalized and he's creating turnovers, man, which you always love to see from a defender. And Jarrell, to go ahead and turn this to you, man, when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, you see the L.A. Chargers with Bosa and Ingram. I have to ask you, who would you say has the best edge-rushing duo in the AFC? Would you give that to T.J. Watt and Dupree or would you give it to Bosa and Ingram or somebody else? Ooh, well, right now, as far as the, the way that the Pittsburgh Steelers have been playing, you would have to give it to Bud Dupree and J.J. Watt. Uh, when you look at this team and what they've been able to do defensively, um, they're top five in total yards. They're top ten as far as pass defense. And that comes off a combination of, of secondary and that comes off of, of a combination of secondary and pressure. And uh, what T, uh, what T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree have been able to do on a consistent basis week in and week out, knowing that the offense doesn't have a lot of star power, knowing that you have to come into the game, uh, keeping guys uh, under a certain amount of points to give you a chance to give your team an opportunity uh, to win the game. And, and their consistent pressure week in and week out is, is, uh, is uh, proved dividends um, for this football team and having, having them in second place in the AFC North right behind Baltimore with a few games to go. And uh, I like their chances. Oh man, he hit it right on the head. And then, also, you talk about the turnover element as well. I mean, this is a team that started out the season, you know, struggling in that department, and now I believe they're leading the league in turnovers, man. Just when you think about that element of the game and how understanding when you talk about an offense that has struggled this season, when you lose what your first round or your franchise quarterback, and then you lose the backup to him. I mean, it's just been masterful and beauty. It's just straight beautiful in terms of what those guys have been able to do, and it's been starting with those pass rushers. All right, let's go ahead and segue to the underappreciated storyline in Week 13. This is something that I want to debut this week, and this is a topic, a player, a storyline that has flown under the radar, so to speak. And so 
My underappreciated storyline of week 13 is Andy Dalton's return, giving the Bengals their first win of the season. It looks like Zach Taylor, he went with Ryan Finley, the rookie quarterback. But Dalton, he reverted back to start. The Bengals picked up their first win, 22-6 over the Jets on Sunday. He delivered a performance that yielded actually multiple personal records. He was 22 for 37, 243 yards, one touchdown. And how about this? His 17-yard pass to Tyler Boyd in the first quarter was the 196th touchdown pass of his career, and it broke Ken Anderson's record for most career passing touchdowns by a Bengal. So Andy Dalton had himself a day. He is my underappreciated storyline of week number 13. Man, I think another thing to touch on with that storyline, it's difficult to go from being the franchise quarterback to being benched for a couple of weeks and then having your number called back. He could have easily, you know, shut it down and say, you know what, it's over. I'm not going to go out here and put that work in. But to see him come back and have a performance the way he did, you definitely got to take the captain for that. Just to, piggy, just to piggyback off that real quick, uh, Isaac, man, I mean, just have a team that hasn't won in over 350 days. Like, just think about, you know, how gruesome an NFL season is and to, to understand the amount of work and, and effort that it takes to just get one win. Um, every week, but just to not win in that in almost a year span, um, I know it's very refreshing for a lot of guys in that situation in that locker room to have a guy, uh, one of their leaders, come back into the room and and uh, fill their hearts with joy, having the opportunity to win a game. Uh, that they, you know, obviously the Jets isn't you know the biggest team in the league as far as um, their record is right now, but getting a win against anybody is uh, is definitely uh, uh, fortunate, um, especially being in the NFL, how it's a, a, a literally a week to week battle. Jarrell, stay there, man. Give me your underappreciated storyline, and then, uh, Arthur, you can share yours. I mean, well, really, realistically, we had the same one. I was just going to piggyback off of what you said, man. Like, uh, I mean, just like just having the opportunity to win. I mean, I've been on some teams where we've been up and down, uh, and I've had opportunities to play in the playoffs and play and to have opportunities to play for wild card spots. And, uh, you know, just like I said before, having a, having a chance to just uh, put one game in front of the other, uh, is definitely refreshing when you get a chance to win. Um, but when you're out there, you, you battle, you spend money on treatment week, week in and week out. You have the fan base against you. You you know, you can't really go to your local grocery store because you haven't won in almost a year. So it's like uh, it's tough for those guys. But, you know, uh, hats off to Andy Dalton coming out there, um, showing the type of sportsmanship that he needs, the leadership that he needs and uh, and resiliency to go out there and lead his team to a win. Hey, man, it's funny you said that about going to the grocery store after losing. That's real life. <laughs> that is. <laughs> hey, look, you shop, hey, you shop in the middle of the night, man. I'm telling you, you, man, you might you might go to Walmart hey. one, two in the morning. Like, man, it's the only time I can shop right hey, now. Hey, no question. No question. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny, man. Man. <laughs> man, so for me, I think the, the one person, when I think of guys that stood out for me, the underdogs, I was thinking Josh Allen initially, but I'm saying to myself, going into this year, I was very high on him and that Bills team, so I felt like I couldn't consider him underappreciated when I was already so high on him and that team. But the person that I think takes the cake for me is Devlin Duck Hodges, the essentially fourth quarterback for the Steelers this year. They started out with Big Ben Roethlisberger. He gets hurt. They had Mason Rudolph and Josh Dobbs. They traded Dobbs away, and literally – 
Duck was going to be a cap on that they had released and signed him back off the street. But the fact that he came in in a must-win game versus the Cleveland Browns, the team that for the first time in, uh, I think it was 10 years, were favored on the road at Heinz Field. That never happens versus the Steelers. But the fact that Duck comes in there in that game versus the defense, versus the team that's hungry to win, supposedly has the upper hand and comes in and provides the spark that offense needs. 14-21, 212 passing yards, one touchdown. He had an interception. It looked like it was a a miscommunication between him and the receiver. But ultimately, man, this guy was taking shots downfield. He had a 44-yard bomb. And he just gave that offense life that they hadn't seen in weeks. So for me, man, I definitely have to go with Duck. Duck Hodges, how about it? That guy's had himself a nice season 2-0 as a starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers after replacing Mason Rudolph, who struggled. And we all saw that hoopla with the Browns and Steelers a couple of weeks ago and everything that, that happened there. We're going to talk more about those Steelers as we move to fact fiction. I love this uh, segment because we get to kind of see each other's views. And so let's get right into it, all right? The big news on Tuesday was Ron Rivetta getting fired by the Carolina Panthers after a long nine-year run. And as I do every single week, I like to explain it for the new listeners, but I'll go ahead and read a statement out and we'll each decide whether it is a fact or fiction and we'll go ahead and give our backup point to it as well. So here's the statement and then I'll toss it to both of y'all to see what you all think. But statement is the Panthers made the right decision to fire Ron Rivera during the season. Is it fact or fiction? Let's go ahead and turn to Arthur first. Man, I think that it is fiction. I don't think it was the right decision. I think that when you have a coach like Ron Rivera, who's been, what, coach of the year, I think it was two times now, and you think about the longevity that he's had with the Panthers, the success that he's been able to have, you don't just turn away from that when things start to get a little rough. You have to remember, he's out there with the past two years, no Cam Newton, essentially. So that plays a huge role in terms of that team's development and that team's success. I think... A lot of times, organizations, they get a little uneasy when things get rocky. And I think sometimes they want to make that knee-jerk reaction. I really think that that's what this situation is right here. But I hope it doesn't turn into a situation like with the the Chicago Bears when they got rid of uh, Levy Smith. And remember how long it took them to get back to being respectable. So in that situation, this could turn into that in my eyes. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think, you know, when you have a coach uh, in Ron Rivera with that type of continuity, uh, well, that type of clout that he brings to the table, um, being a coach there nine years, having a Super Bowl appearance, uh, being coach of the year, you have to honor him and respect him that understand that he has a he knows how to how to find a way to right the ship. Um, they've had a lot of turnover in their team. You know, they, they've lost their defensive coordinator, Sean McDermott. They were top in the league when they had uh, the opportunity to have him calling the plays defensively. Now he's over at the Buffalo Bills, and you see the type of success that they're having. Um, you lose, uh, you, you're exchanging offensive coordinators week in, I mean, season in and season out, and you still haven't surrounded Cam Newton with the type of personnel on the outside to be able to win in those one-on-one type of situations. I think from my personal perspective, you would have to start at the front office uh, before you would have to start with the head coach. I understand that the head coach coaches the players on the field, but, you know, the front office has to give an opportunity to – the coach in order to be successful. I don't necessarily think that they have equipped uh, Cam Newton or any of the, the the quarterbacks that they've had under the helm with the type of success on the outside that they need. It's it's been for the last couple seasons, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey. That's all we've been hearing about, and he's spectacular. 
but no one man wins a Super Bowl. No one man takes a team to the playoffs. And I just think, I just think that personally, with a guy that's that's proven that he can turn a team around, you have to give him the respect of, of ending the season in the right way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm going to go ahead and say fiction to that statement as well. I mean, Ron Rivera, nine years there in Carolina, winning this coach in team history, 76-63-1 as the head coach there. Of course, 3-4 and four in the postseason mark, took them to Super Bowl 50 uh, following the 2015 season. And I understand David Tepper, he went to the media, the owner who purchased the franchise, uh, the Carolina Panthers coming from the Steelers, actually. And he said he wanted to leave his mark as he done in the front office already. So he, in other words, he wants to bring in his own head coach. So I can see from his standpoint, but considering the flux of things that have happened in Carolina with Cam Newton, as both of you have already mentioned, I thought that he should at least let Rivera finish out the season. There's four more weeks left. And, you know, I don't know what it's like being a player. You all do when there's change. And so, you know, I'd imagine that some of these players would feel a little bit disgruntled towards the way a situation like that is handled. So I want to go ahead and toss it to both of you all to, to provide some feedback on that. As players in the NFL, do you think that affects the locker room in a negative way when an owner fires a coach midseason? Yeah, I know for me, I think it definitely does. I feel like any time a coach is fired, and especially a coach who's been there for that long, you definitely, as a player, have a negative view about it sometimes. I know from my personal experience in Buffalo, we had Chan Gailey my first three years up there, and when they finally decided to let him go, it was a weird feeling because you knew that guys were starting to buy in, guys were starting to get a better rapport. We felt like we were improving, but we we also understood the nature of this business in terms of fans, in terms of ownership, wanting to win now. And I remember us being very frustrated when they made the switch to Doug Marone because then it felt like we had to start over in terms of building again. We had to start over in terms of philosophy. We had to start over in terms of everything. And a lot of times that's just in an off season when you switch it. So when you're doing the season, it essentially lets you know as a team that you've punted on the season. You don't care about the results the rest of the year. So in that regard, it definitely, I feel like we're rubbing people the wrong way. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I went through a, a situation in Buffalo too. It, we, we didn't have the, we didn't have a guy that was fired uh, in Rex Ryan during the year, but we knew that the change was coming at the end of the year. And, you know, I think for uh, for our perspective as players, um, we understood that, you know, things happen as far as the business, but we wanted to make sure that we go out and we went out in our own type of way. So, you know, players had opportunities to, uh, you know, engage in, in conversation with coaches that you know that you that you, were, you weren't really going to necessarily see next year because of the results of the season. And uh, you had opportunity to to uh, to, to basically, um, you know, be, build a better friendship, you know, moving forward. Um, but I do understand that, you know, change has to happen. This is a business. But if you look at all the teams that, you know, they always get surrounded with a lot of media coverage. They always get surrounded with uh, these big headlines, you know, i.e. the New England, New England Patriots, the Seattle Seahawks, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, teams that always get surrounded with the major headlines as far as uh, continuity within their organization. But you can see that the ownership being in place and having a guy at the head of the table that knows how to be patient and knows how to stay calm um, through tough through tough times, you can see that they eventually come out on the, on the right side of it, man. And when you have ownership ready to uh, change things so aggressively, 
um, you know, Temper's a, a hedge fund investor. Um, he's a guy that, you know, that typically puts his money into places and, and has a certain timetable on when he's going to receive the results of that. And football is a, it's a totally different game than investing in, in um, and investing. And so at the end of the day, things take time, man. In order to appreciate things, you have to go through the tough times. And I just don't think that the Panthers were willing to go through that with Ron Rivera as uh, as you would see uh, Pittsburgh going through with uh, like Mike Tomlin, because um, Mike Tomlin, at the end of the day, he's coaching his ass off. And I think that uh, we still have to have an opportunity to talk about that as opposed to Ron Rivera getting the boot after uh, experiencing some shaky water over the, the, the last uh, couple seasons. That is uh, really well put from both of you all. And this is why I like having both of you on. You bring that player perspective. And Ron Rivera deserved a little bit more leeway considering the resume that he's put together. And so it's going to be interesting to see where Tepper turns this head coaching search. He said he wanted to get rid of Rivera now so that way he can start searching for head coaching candidates, doing some groundwork on that. So we'll see how as that story develops over time but let's go ahead and go to the next statement and this has to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the job that Mike Tomlin has done so Jarrell just talking a little bit about him right there but here's the statement we'll discuss Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin deserves strong consideration for coach of the year so Arthur being a former Steeler I am interested to hear your take on this yeah, man, for me, this is easy. I feel like he definitely deserves it, and I think that he should be the front-runner for it. I understand that people will say, you know, John Harbaugh, or excuse me, they would say Harbaugh because of the success that he's having in Baltimore, but I feel like sometimes when you have the best player in the league, in which I think Lamar Jackson will be the MVP, it takes away from you potentially having the coach of the year because you have that talented player. And unless they were to win out, which I – I think they do have a possibility where they could do that and go 14-2, and two, but I still think they're going to drop a game over these next couple of weeks. Now, if that's the case, I do think that Mike Tomlin has to get that award because when you look at the amount of turnover that he's had to endure, just this offseason you lose arguably the best receiver in football, Antonio Brown. Then six quarters into the season, Ben Roethlisberger done for the year. Then from there, you initially had Sean Davis, who was your starting safety. He goes down. He's IR for the year. Stephon Tewitt, IR for the year. You had your uh, – shoot, you won games without Juju Smith-Schuster, without James Conner. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you think about the fact that you're winning games with the guy named Devlin Duck Hodges. Like, <laughs> that's just crazy at this level. I mean, they're the sixth seed in the AFC wildcard race right now, AFC playoff race. And it's solely because of the job that he's done with that defense, the job that he's done in turn of keeping the organization and the players focused and motivated on the task at hand. People, it's been so much going on that people forget that going into the season in training camp, the wide receivers coach passed away during training camp. That's how much stuff has been going on, but he's still been able to navigate this team and keep them in a position where they are able to win games. And they should be favorite in, what, two of their last four games of this season. So when you think about all those different factors, I feel like it's a clear-cut decision that he should be the, uh, the coach of the year. 
I completely forgot about the passing of their coach, and that was another big thing that they had to get through as a team. So I say fact as well. This isn't really a, a topic, but you got to give it to Mike Tomlin, man. You just mentioned it, Arthur. Le'Veon Bell, Juju Smith-Schuster's been dealing with injury. James Conner, Benny Snell, the rookie, has been leading their backfield the last couple of weeks and has done a very good job. And so Mike Tomlin, what he's been able to do, rallying the troops, Duck Hodges comes in. And then the whole brawl that happened with the Cleveland Browns, you see how Freddie Kitchens handled it wearing shirts about how Pittsburgh started it right. And then you see Mike Tomlin on his end, you know, not giving any additional attention to it. And so, man, hats off to Mike Tomlin, what he's been able to do there in Pittsburgh. So he does deserve strong consideration. And mind you, both Jarrell and Arthur, if you remember correctly, when the Redskins fired Jay Gruden about four or five weeks ago, there was rumors swirling about Mike Tomlin going to Washington and about how he's going to be done in Pittsburgh considering where that organization was at that time. But then he pulls the trigger on Minka Fitzpatrick, the trade in which many people criticize. But man, the job he has continued to do in Pittsburgh, I think it certainly warrants coach of the year. I would agree with you, Isaac. Uh, I really just want to talk about uh, me personally. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin has always been a great coach. I've never had an opportunity to play for him. But from every player that I've had an opportunity to speak with that's come out of that organization, that's been around that organization, they speak so highly of him. They speak so highly of the character that he brings to the table, um, the type of resolve that he has when when basically the ship is is, is literally about to sink. And uh, and how he's able to rally troops and uh, and and get them to play their best football. Um, when you look at the development of the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, all of their stat leaders are guys that that have been on the bench or guys that we have counted out before. And these guys haven't had the opportunity to play up until this year. Um, you know, missing James Conner is, is extremely important based off the season he had last year. Um, playing without uh, Pouncey and, and after the brawl. Um, having, you know, that that quarterback center exchange, that quarterback and center uh, continuity is so important uh, when it comes to pass protection, when it comes to uh, run blocking and those things. And to be without that player and you still have the type of success that you're having offensively, uh, it speaks to the development within the organization. It speaks to the coaching and the continuity that they have uh, week in and week out. Um, the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick and you see how he's been able to shine in Pittsburgh as opposed to being in a situation like, uh, like Miami. Uh, and, um, and I, it is just talk, it just speaks to the, to the, the player, the player development within that organization coming down from the top all the way down from the assistant coaches to the scouts, to the guys that you uh, see on a daily basis um, as far as nutrition and all of those sorts. Um, th those guys, uh, as far as the Fitzworth organization seem to be on the same page and they seem to be receiving the message of Mike Tomlin in a way that's encouraging this team, that's that's giving uh, a lot of energy to guys that may not get their number called as much, but when they get the ball in their hands or have opportunity to play on defense, they're making the best of it. Well, man, he hit on it too when he talked about guys that haven't got opportunities at other places. The past two weeks, one of the main contributors in the back for outside of Benny Snell is a guy, Kareth White, who was on a practice squad. You talked yes. about Deion Kane, who came in with the Bengals and had a big catch and then a big uh, uh, pass interference uh, penalty that he drew. Another guy who was on a practice squad. So when you think about all of those factors, I mean, it's crazy that the Steelers are where they are right now. 
What a great story going on there, Mike Tomlin. So hats off to him and that organization for handling things the right way. But let's go ahead and move to the next statement here. This has to do with the Tennessee Titans because they have turned the switch on. Mike Vrabel has something good going on there in Nashville, Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill, he is 5-1 since taking over the Titans starting quarterback job over Marcus Mariota. A report surfaced on Sunday that the Titans will consider using the franchise tag on Tannehill, which is projected to cost about $26 million this offseason. So here's the statement, and then I'll toss it to y'all for your take as well as mine. So the Tennessee Titans should use the franchise tag on Ryan Tannehill based on his play this season. Is it a fact or fiction? Let's go to Jarrell first and then Arthur after. I personally I personally would like to say fiction. I think um, I would like to tip my hat to Mike Vrabel, Mike Vrabel and what they've been able to accomplish with his development. As I said before, you know, uh, when you have guys coming from situations like Miami where there's no success, there's no real hope for um, a future as far as your career has been going as far as the past couple years. And then you you have opportunity to go into the Tennessee Titans. You know, you're the backup. You know, you're not the guy that everybody's kind of counting on. And then you have opportunity to uh, go out there and impress. And, you know, when you look at, at what he's been doing, I mean, it's not, it hasn't he's not it's not like he's throwing for 350 yards a game. It's not like, you know, he's having an opportunity uh, to win them the games late by, you know, throwing the ball into the end zone. Um, when you look at their, what their offensive line has been able to accomplish, what Derrick Henry has been able to accomplish, um, the last three games over 100 yards, averaging 4.9 yards a rush, which is very good. Five yards a carry is, is, is very good. Um, and when you see what he's been able to do, he gives this quarterback a sense of uh, – a, a, he gives them a, a calm and a way out to know that they're going to be in third and manageable situations – uh, he doesn't have to he doesn't necessarily have to overthink um, in those type of situations. And I think it's a it's a testament to the offensive line and the coaching staff, knowing the type of players that they have in their organization and knowing what they what they're putting together as far as uh, as far as a team is concerned. And so with that being said, I think I don't think it would be a great idea to to spend um, almost twenty five million dollars on, um, you know, on a on a quarterback that necessarily hasn't proven himself getting the team to the playoffs, getting them deep into the playoffs, uh, winning a conference championship. I don't, I don't necessarily think I would, I would spend $25 million on that person, but I, but I think that, you know, um, if you look at the free agents coming up and and the situation that they're in, they're kind of in a tricky situation because they've been winning and um, you know, and they're not low at low. They're not low on the total pole as far as having a potential top 10 pick for next year. Yeah, man, I definitely have to agree. I think it's fiction in terms of wanting to give this dude the franchise tag. I think it's different if you can come to an agreement on a contract extension, but I definitely don't think you franchise tag him just because you've seen Tannehill in a large sample size. When he's the guy week in and week out, he has not been as successful. And we saw that in Miami, he would look good sometimes, and he would look really bad at other times. Coming into the situation in Tennessee, it was essentially a house money deal for him. He wasn't going to be viewed as a starter. That was Marcus Mariota. He knew that he couldn't have played any worse than what he's done. So you see him out there playing a lot more relaxed. He's getting the ball out extremely fast. But the running game is really what makes that offense go. Derrick Henry has been a man amongst boys 
this season when he's been healthy. Mm-hmm. Also, their defense is playing at a high level as well. You look at, obviously, what Kevin Byer has been able to do out there, and you know uh, was, uh, Harold Landry, the sacks that he's been able to, uh, to create and stuff like that. For me, when I see Tannehill, I look at him as not the reason why they're winning. He's just a, a piece. He's a cog in the wheel for them. The person who makes that team go is Derrick Henry from an offensive standpoint. So, for me, I just don't see the the benefit of franchise tagging Tannehill because I think it locks up too much money in a player that you know isn't going to be your long-term answer at quarterback. Yeah, I would agree with both of you. I'm going to say fiction as well. I mean, Tannehill, let's also remember that he is 31 years old, so he's getting up there. So committing $26.7 million to Ryan Tannehill, I know he's 5-1 and one since taking over, eight game appearances, six starts for the Titans, 16.02 yards, 12 touchdowns, just the four interceptions, career high, 72.7 completion percentage. So everything looks like, hey man, he's putting out stuff where you should franchise tag him and want to retain him for the foreseeable future. However, I am completely with you, Arthur, as you mentioned. Derrick Henry, he has been the driving force of that Titans offense. You look at that offensive line, you got Conklin, Taylor Lewin. Those guys are dirty up front. They've been able to generate push against opposing defenses. And I don't know if there's a running back out there that's running the way Derrick Henry is right now. I know you got Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, who is leading the NFL in rushing. But Tennessee, their identity, that is what they do is running the football. And so that is clearly taking pressure off Ryan Tannehill's shoulders. So he is more of a game manager, so to speak. And as I told Jarrell in a couple of podcasts ago when we are talking about Cam Newton, I said, man, Tennessee sounds like a team that I think would make the most sense for Cam Newton via trade because he's already got some receivers there in Corey Davis, A.J. Brown, the rookie, Jonu Smith. And so I feel like there's a bunch of other directions that Tennessee can go and utilize that cap space uh, in terms of upgrading that quarterback position. Yeah, I would agree with you, Isaac. I like, I personally like the rookie AJ Brown, and I also like the the pick as far as Cam Newton going over to the Tennessee Titans. You have a good defense over there. You know that you're going to be a defensive minded uh, team, so you're going to have opportunities to to play with the lead because you're going to have good sound football on the other side. And um, Derrick Henry is a phenomenal guy as far as uh, being able to to fall forward for positive yards and um, keeping the ball rolling. And like I said before, man, when you have a big guy like that, I mean, he's almost he's six, what, six one, six two, um, over two hundred and fifty pounds. When you have a guy like that running downhill, uh, I think that you know it makes it a lot easier to be in those third and four situations um, and third and short situations uh, to where Tannehill can make a quick, easy decision, and you don't have to put him in stressful decisions where he's having to drop back six, seven yards and having to read coverages. Um, and it, I think for me personally, when I look at Ryan Tannehill, he, he's like a positive Matt Schaub story for me, because when you have Matt Schaub be, being, in, being, in, yeah, being with the Houston Texans, um, having the chance to start and, and win, win, win and didn't really have the success that he wanted in Houston. Um, you know, he goes to uh, various teams being Oakland and, and Atlanta and not having the type of success that he wants. Um, I see Ryan Tannehill being a, a positive success story. Um, a positive success story opposite Matt Schaub, and he's taking full advantage of it. And I really think uh, that they're going to have a tough decision to make, but to spend the franchise tag on a guy that's 31 years old and hasn't had a lot of success 
um, winning, he would have to give me two, three seasons before I would have to spend that type of money. We're going to go ahead and turn it to the final fact fiction segment before we run through our game picks and end this podcast. And so this one is a really interesting one because uh, I want to hear y'all's take. The LA Chargers have been one of the biggest disappointments this season. I know for me, I expected them to get back into the playoffs at least as a wild card team, but they're four and eight after their loss to the Denver Broncos on Sunday. And Phillip Rivers, he's 37 years old, soon to be 38 on Sunday. He struggled uh, immensely, and the Chargers have in fact considered going to Tyrod Taylor considering the struggles this offense has seen so here's a statement the Los Angeles Chargers should go to Tyrod Taylor after dropping a four and eight is this fact or fiction Arthur let's go to you man so I love Tyrod obviously from my hometown in the 757 um Ton of success. I mean, obviously, you see he made the Pro Bowl in Buffalo, led them to one of their first 12 appearances in over, what, 15 years, I believe it was, when they did. But you cannot do that. So I have to say it's fiction, and here's why. A guy like Phillip Rivers, he falls into those elite-level categories. When we talk about guys who change the face of franchises, guys who whose name is synonymous with those type of organizations. So at this point of the season, regardless of how bad he's played, you give him the dignity, you give him the respect to let him finish out the year. After that, you make the moves you want to make during the offseason, but you definitely have to allow Philip Rivers that respect. And I think if you don't, it falls into that same category that we saw with Eli Manning two a year ago, where they take him out for, what, a game or two? just to see what they had on the roster, just to put them back in there after the fact. And it was very disrespectful. It was very distasteful. I think if you go about it the right way, though, you can make that transition this offseason to whoever you want to do at quarterback, whether you want to roll with Tyrod Taylor, whether you want to draft somebody, and it would be a lot smoother of a process. Man, so, you know, obviously Tyrod being my guy, too. I know he's not from my hometown. Um, but I, excuse me, I had an opportunity to play with him uh, uh, for three years up in Buffalo. And uh, what he brings to the table, uh, I really like, man. I don't think he gets enough credit um, with having the type of success that he has. I think for me personally, I talked about Phillip Rivers last year uh, when we were discussing the, the playoffs and how and how uh, limp and noodle his arm is starting to become. I understand he's starting to get up there in age and, you know, uh, you know, he looks great in a lot of West Coast games and he's able to get the ball out fast. And he looks really great when he's playing out. And that's really beautiful sunshine. But when he has opportunities to, to come back to, towards the east and that, and that grueling weather when you're in Kansas City and the wind is blowing um, 100 miles an hour and he's in those tough fault games where the weather conditions aren't as perfect. His arm doesn't seem as strong and he doesn't seem to be able to throw the deep ball as, as uh, effectively as possible. And when I, one thing I recall uh, with Tyrod being in Buffalo, um, when he had an opportunity to be under Greg Roman and we had the number one rushing offense in the, in the NFL, Tyrod Taylor also led the NFL in deep ball percentage that year as well. And so I think, you know, he going, has, he, he, yes, he has, yeah, he has opportunity to throw the ball um, through those, through that, those tough conditions. Um, you're four and eight. Uh, when you look at the Chiefs, they're what, 40? I think they're like 40 and three or 40 and five or or something like that over the last few seasons against or no, uh, 24, 24 and five or something like that against their opponents in the AFC West. You realize you're not going to be competing for any type of titles or divisions this year. So I think personally, 
um, see what you got in Tyrod Taylor. I know Anthony Lynn being the head coach, he knows what Tyrod can do. And um, he knows the type of game plan to formulate in order to have success uh, for Tyrod. And so um, Phillip Rivers just hasn't had the opportunity to really get it done this year. And I think that, you know, you should give him a chance to rest his arm, see what you have going into the offseason next year and uh, try to give Tyrod an opportunity to earn his money. Yeah, I would agree with you, Jarrell. I'm actually going to say fact to this. I mean, I know I get your point, Arthur, with Phillip Rivers, and this guy is a vet. He's done it a long time, and he's going to be in conversation to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But considering how poorly Rivers is throwing, and I know it's kind of funny because numbers are indeed deceiving because he's third in the NFL for pass yards with 3,434 yards. But when you scroll down the touchdowns and interception ratio, 17 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 64.7 completion percentage. Now, I understand what it would do to the locker room potentially if you bench Phillip Rivers. But, you know, Tyrod Taylor, he signed to a two-year deal. So you're going to have him under contract next year. So why don't you use this final month of the season to see what you got in Tyrod Taylor. See how he looks in an offense with Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry at tight end. I feel like because of his mobility, now this Chargers offensive line has struggled immensely. They've been without Sam Tevy. Russell Okung at times this season. So Rivers hasn't had the most offensive pass protection, so to say. But Tyrod Taylor can come in. He can make plays out of the pocket, which I think could actually help this Chargers offense in the long run. Now, of course, I think playoffs are far-fetched for them at this point. But I say let's take a look at Tyrod Taylor, see what he can do with Anthony Lynn as they know each other, as you mentioned, Jarrell, in Buffalo, and then see what happens as the offseason unfolds. Of course, Phillip Rivers is going to be a free agent come March, and it looks like the Chargers have kind of hit the brakes a little bit on a contract extension for a quarterback that's soon to be 38 years old. So that is a complex situation, but I say fact, I say turn it to Tyrod Taylor and see what you can get out of him moving for in this last month of the season so Arthur I don't know if you had anything else to add on this no man like I said outside of the respect element that's my biggest standpoint on it just because Phillip isn't a guy who came there through free agency he's been a guy that's been there even when nobody wanted him and, and you have to remember Eli Manning was the one who initially started that train right in terms of I did he said I did not want to be a part of that team he would rather sit and not play than go be drafted by them Phillip was the guy that went there was the guy who turned that face, the, the franchise around, made them respectful, made them contenders year in and year out. So that's the only regard. Because for me, if you know Tyrod's on under contract for another year, you know you're still going to have him there. Philip, you have to make the decision on whether you want to give him an extension or if you want to just let him go off into the sunset. So if you're not playing for anything right now, anyways, at least let him, at least show him that respect and regard. That's what I'm saying. You know, obviously, when you have a guy that has been there through it all, uh, you, you, you definitely want to, you know, show him that type of continuity. You never want to pull a, pull his card um, when he when he, you know, obviously, when he's going through the tough years. Um, I think just, you know, just coming from that perspective, man, I, I just think their offense has struggled a lot this year. Um, and they have a lot of things to figure out offensive line wise and running back situation. And uh, they have to they have to, uh, you know, upgrade their receiving core. You know, obviously, Keenan Allen is a guy, but. They have, to, they have to get better offensively, man, and, and, and they have too many questions surrounding the offseason. And so I understand that, you know, you want to see them go out on the right note. Um, 
but you know Philip is you know obviously he's the biggest competitor in the world but it's you know obviously that that baby making kind of caught up to him man his, his, his arm just hasn't seemed as, as strong as as it, as it seemed as it seemed in years past so you know we we know we know we know Phil you know Phil is a guy that you know he loves his wife so maybe maybe he gotta just slow down and, and you know, you know get, his ex, get his electrolytes you know get All ready kids, we'll baby. see how it goes <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Hey, like we know Phil. We hey, the, yeah. hey, hey, Arthur. You done played against Phil, man. You know how hey, he is, bro. Like no question, <laughs> man. <laughs> That is uh, a, a good point there from both y'all, Philip Rivers. We'll see, man. I, it looks like he's going to stay the starter for the rest of the year, but uh, it is worth discussing. But now we're going to go to the week 14 picks, as we always do. We'll roll through these, and we'll get out of here. So let's start on Thursday night, the Dallas Cowboys 6-6 six and six, going to the Windy City to take on the Bears, who are also 6-6. Six and six. They've won three of their last four. They're at home so let's go ahead and go to uh, Arthur. Who do you got winning this one? Hey, man, the Cowboys will get off the schneid versus teams 500 or better. I think they definitely get the win in the Windy City. I don't think that Chicago's offense has enough to do anything. And I do think that with Dak Prescott, Zeke, and obviously uh, depending on how Mark Cooper is doing and things like that from a health standpoint, they present some challenges, and I do think that they can get the job done. Yeah, I would agree with you, man. I, I like the Cowboys um, to win by by double digits as far as uh, two touchdowns. Uh, I just think, you know, with the Dallas Cowboys, they 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 have to have a win. Um, I think the signature win. Um, what better what what team to to go against than a team that really can't throw the ball? And so, you know, you have Trubisky being back there and the mistakes that he's continuing to make. Um, their defense is continuing to play better. Uh, but I, but I, but they're also 28th in rushing. And if Dallas looks at, you know, if Dallas looks at that, and they should be licking their chops to know that they can run the ball against this defense. And so, I would hope that they have opportunity to win. Uh, but I, I, I definitely have Dallas winning this one. I hope both of y'all are right. To be honest, we'll see. This Cowboys team has been a roller coaster team each week. I'm gonna pick the Cowboys to win, but in a close one, 20 to 17. Now I am concerned. I will say this: I think David Montgomery from the Bears. He may have some success. The Cowboys have struggled stopping the run this season, but I like Dallas to get a pivotal win there in Chicago on Thursday. Let's go to the next matchup here. Speaking of those Carolina Panthers, fired Ron Rivera, 5-7. and seven. They go to face the 3-9 Falcons on Sunday. I'll go ahead and take the Falcons to win this one. Assuming that Julio Jones does play, give me the Falcons. 27-17 to 17 over the Panthers. Jarrell, who do you have? Yeah, I, I too am in taking Atlanta. I think you know, with a tough week losing, I'm um, a big a big uh, centerpiece to your program. Even even though you're going through the ups and downs, he was a guy that you can um, look forward to seeing every day when you walk in the building. Um, and I just think when that voice is gone, you know, obviously the young guys are not going to understand it, but the vo- but the the guys that have been around and been through the fire with that guy, they're going to know that it's going to be different um, when you go to practice, and the message is going to be different this week. So. I'm going to take Atlanta as well. Uh, I'm going to take them in a score of uh, 28 to uh, to 13, and uh, hopefully uh, they make me right. Yeah, man, I got to agree with you guys as well. Um, and less about the Panthers firing Ron Rivera. I mean, I understand that that's going to be significant, but if you watch the Falcons over the past couple of weeks, 
they've looked extremely good. I mean, in terms of how productive they've been, their defense has been playing a lot better. They legit could have won that uh, game on uh, Thursday night versus the uh, versus New Orleans Saints. And now they have them winning three games in a row. They have hit a nice stride right now, and I think that they can overwhelm this Carolina Panthers team. Um, so for me, i got to pick a score. I would say 24-10. Now this game right here is going to be a dandy. The 10-2 Ravens going to take on the Bills, 9-3 on Sunday. I have no idea why this is a 1 p.m. Eastern time start. Let's get this NFL to flex it to prime time because it's going to be a good one to watch, man. I cannot wait. So we got two former Bills here. So let's go ahead and go with Arthur and then Jarrell. So who are y'all taking in this big-time game? Man, so... The Bills have a tough three-game stretch. When you think about them having to deal with the Ravens, the Steelers, and then the Patriots, I think this is the one of those three that they drop. I think that they end up losing this one. Baltimore has been playing at just an insane pace, an insane level of continuity and just overall sharpness. I think Lamar Jackson definitely presents some challenges. And obviously that Ravens defense has been playing at a high level. I think that the Ravens get the job done. I think it's going to be close. I have it at 20-17, to 17, game-winning field goal by Justin Tucker. But I do think in the next coming weeks, the Bills go ahead and get two big wins versus the Pittsburgh Steelers and versus the New England Patriots. Wow, man, it's crazy that we all on this podcast together because, like, we all we definitely think alike, man, because I, <laughs> I personally wanted to go – I personally wanted to go with the Bills. Um, I did in my heart, um, you know, because I just know what they that they bring to the table. Their defense travels. It's going to be very tough, uh, you know. Obviously, uh, playing on the road, being in you know being in that stadium, Bills Mafia. But this is my this is my deciding factor. That that damn turf that we had up in Bills in the Bills Mafia oh, is going to make, make Lamar Jackson even faster than what yeah. he is in a, in, a, in a regular setting, and so. I just think, you know, obviously the Bills come to the game, you know, having a great defense. They have a great secondary. They play well together. I think that the game is going to be a lot closer as far as uh, points per game. And I think that the Bills are going to have opportunities to get interceptions off Lamar Jackson, um, you know, downfield. I think for me, the toughest thing is uh, having Josh Allen going against the, 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 uh, the Baltimore Ravens defense and being on the road, you realize that. The offense is the, – the crowd is quiet. You have opportunities to hear what the offense is saying. And so I think that this that this uh, Ravens team is going to have plenty of chances to, to figure out what the Bills want to do offensively. And then that's that becomes my deciding factor with Earl Thomas and those guys being back there. And so I personally have the, uh, the Ravens squeaking out a win as well, 24-21. Um, to 21. Not so fast, as Lee Corso says on college game day. <laughs> I am going with the Buffalo Bills, man. They're at home, and I like the way Josh Allen is playing right now. Frank Gore, the dude, is still toting the rock at a high level. How about Devin Singletary? But, you know, here's the difference right here. I like this Bills defensive front to get after Lamar Jackson. Now, they're not going to stop the guy because nobody can, but I think they're going to limit him. And I like Tredavious White to come down with a game-sealing interception in the fourth quarter. Bills 23-17 over the Baltimore Ravens in a signature win. So I am going with the Buffalo Bills. I cannot wait to watch this game either. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting one. I, only reason why I took Baltimore is because when I look at what they did against San Francisco and um, and how Baltimore found a way to kind of take the one of the best defensive lines in football out of the game, 
Um, when they put when they put have an opportunity to put the ball on the edge and you take away the the strength of a of a defense, which is the front seven and the guys up front, um, week in and week out, we've seen Lamar Jackson have the advantage on the on the outside when it comes to the secondary and the and the guys wanting to come up and make plays. I mean, he's lowering his hat, he's putting on moves that we've never seen. And like I said before, man, that turf up there is just gonna make him even more explosive. This is the Isaac Upset Special of the Week. Give me them Bengals, baby. Andy Dalton going into Cleveland. I may sound like a clown come Monday, but you know what? Something in me feels like this Bengals team's got something brewing. John Ross coming back from injured reserve. Brown's got a whole lot of things that are unraveling. Bengals take it in a thriller, 23-20 to over the Browns. Man, I do like what your, what your thought process is in terms of that Bengals team. Obviously, with Dalton coming back, they're a lot more dynamic at the offensive position. John Rawls definitely provides a deep threat. But for me, I still think that the Browns could get this done. I don't know why. I don't even like Cleveland, but I think they find a way to get it done. I have it being 24-20, actually. I personally am going to – I think the Browns are going to dominate the Bengals. Uh, when you look at they have the they have the number the NFL's leading rusher in Nick Chubb. You get Kareem Hunt back. He had a pretty good display last week. And I think that I think for me personally, if it's up to me, um, you know, obviously with the injury to Baker Mayfield and having the the uh, the type of thumb and and things that he went through this past week, I I know for a fact they're going to come in wanting to run the ball, establishing the run, um, only really have to go to things like play action pass or, or crossing routes only when they need to. And I just think that they're going to try to force feed both of these running backs to uh, try to will their way to a win. How about the Redskins at the Packers? 3-9 Redskins at the 9-3 Packers. I'd assume all of us are going with the Packers. I'm taking the Packers to win this one. 27-10 over Dwayne Haskins. How about y'all? Yeah, I agree 100% with that, man. Mike Pettin and that Green Bay Packers defense is not going to allow any type of success from that Redskins offense. I think that uh, Aaron Rodgers definitely has another one of his beautiful performances. Actually starting him in fantasy this week. So definitely, I hope that if you got to measure quarterback, you do the same. And yeah, man, I think they get it done. I'm going 28-7. Ooh, man, this is a this actually was a tougher game for me to choose than, uh, than normal. Uh, just because of the simple fact uh, of the success that they've had, uh, the success that the Redskins have had over the last couple weeks, and, and obviously finding a running game last week, uh, builds a lot of confidence going on the road against a team that that you, that we know is going to have a lot of snow up there. It's going to be uh, crazy, crazy weather in some to some capacity this late um, in the season in in, in Lambeau. And so, uh, I want to say I want I'm going to take the Packers in a close one. I'm going to take Mason Crosby squeaking out a field goal, but I think that the Redskins are going to come in ready to play. Adrian Peterson loves playing against the Green Bay Packers. I've experienced. I've experienced it too many times, man, in, in my career going against a, AP, and and, um, and, we, and, he, and he know and he knows the formula in order to beat the Packers, which is downhill football, control the line, the time of possession, um, limit Aaron Rodgers to the to the amount of uh, possessions that he gets, and so I think that the Packers are going to squeeze this one out, but it, I, don't be surprised if it's a lot closer than what people think. Let's go ahead and move to the next big-time matchup. This one coming in the NFC, so seating is on the line. 10-2 Niners going to take on the Saints. 
there in New Orleans who are also 10-2. I have the San Francisco 49ers squeaking out of victory 27-24 over the Saints. I know the Niners dropped a tight win against the Ravens, but that defensive front seven, Buckner, Armstead, Bosa, I think that's the difference. They're able to get to Drew Brees late and force a turnover. I like San Francisco. Ah, see, this is where we started to differ. I call fraud alert on those 49ers. I don't believe them. I don't believe them. So with that being said, man, I got to go with the Saints, man. Drew Brees does not play games. And you already know, I talked about Cameron Jordan earlier and his pass rush and what he's able to accomplish. I don't think that Garoppolo can continue to get it done at this level. He struggled at certain times this season. He's very inconsistent. So with that being said, give me the Saints. I'm going to go... 30 to 21. Ooh, man. Hey, it is it is going to be a high score in the fair in my eyes. Um, that, that turf down there, that track, uh, Marquise Goodwin, those guys having the opportunity to uh, to go downfield and uh, play effectively, I think it's going to be phenomenal for this team. I just think that um, – I think the Saints are going to be very tough to beat at home. Uh, they're, they're always tough. Um, Drew Brees and, and the Saints uh, over the last five years have been the least – have been uh, top three as far as least sacked teams. Um, they were like that during my tenure in Green Bay. Um, it was one of the craziest statistics that Dom Capers read off the board that they that they were literally uh, one of they were one of the least sacked teams over that over a four year span, and that was before this time. And so um, they've always found ways to get the ball out fast um, on quick routes and and things of that nature. And so I'm going to take the Saints um, in a high scoring game, uh, 33 to 28. Uh, and, I, and I hope that Cam Jordan continues the success, man. I'm always full of the guys in the trenches. Dolphins at Jets. 3-9 Dolphins, 4-8 Jets. Give me the Dolphins to keep up this winning that they've got going on. I like them to take it 31-23 to over the Jets with another big-time Ryan Fitzpatrick performance. Yeah, I'm believing in the Fitz magic. We all know when he gets hot, it, it lasts for a couple of games. So this is this is game two of that hot streak. So we're gonna believe in it. We're gonna keep rolling. And besides, we know the Jets are gonna be moping, man, because their season has officially ended. So with that being said, man, give me Fitz Magic, and I'm going. I'm gonna say 21-14. I like it, man. I like Fitz Magic, man. Like I told you before on the podcast before, he's one of the best teammates in football. Uh, no he's question. a hell of a guy. No yeah, he's question. a hell of a guy. So friendly. Um, he's a hell of a competitor. Um, have an opportunity to play with him last year in Tampa Bay. Uh, I mean, he's he's been phenomenal. And so um, I definitely think that they're going to win. And, and like you and like uh, Arthur said before, man, when he has the opportunity to, to get on a hot streak, it lasts for a while. And and um, and, and so I think he's going to have opportunity to, to win this game. And uh, hopefully he puts up some amazing numbers, man. And, and uh, it would be great to see it. So I'm going to take them in a score of 26 to 20. We are going on the Fitzpatrick train. Now we got the Colts at the Buccaneers. This is an intriguing matchup. The Colts need a win big time to stay alive in the AFC South. Meanwhile, Bruce Arians has the Buccaneers playing some good football. Five and seven coming off another victory over those Jaguars. Me personally, I'm going to take the Bucs to win this game. I like where Arians is leading this team. Now, Jameis Winston, that offense, those guys are high flying. Of course, this is when Jameis Winston's not turning over the ball. But when he can uh, make smart decisions, they're tough to stop with two a thousand plus yard receivers in Godwin and Evans. So give me Tampa Bay to win this one. 30 to 17 over the Colts. Oh now see that's a little tough. 
I mean, I like Famous James. I like what he can do when he gets high, but he turns the ball over. Oh, yeah. Then on the flip side, then on the flip side, though, we're talking about the Colts. We're talking about Jacob Brissett. And, and I like what he's doing, but the kicker, Vinatieri. Yeah. Man, I do. I, oh, it kills my confidence in him. That's my only issue. And then, obviously, the T.Y. Hilton situation. But even still... Even still, I gotta get. I gotta. If I'm putting my money on it, I gotta go with the Colts, man. I think they find a way to get it done. I'm going twenty to seventeen because Jameis, you just can't trust him with the ball, man. And that's his biggest issue. That's his Achilles heel. Yeah, the Colts definitely need this game. Um, you know, if you're looking at their schedule coming down the stretch, they play the Saints, they play the Panthers, and the Jaguars, and and uh, these are these. This is a this is a pivotal uh, a pivotal point of their season if they want to keep their hopes alive, uh, especially after losing last week to Tennessee Titans. And and so, um, for me personally, I I'm I'm going to take the Buccaneers um, just because of the defense and what they've been able to accomplish over the last few weeks. Um, you know, getting Jason Pierre-Paul back in the lineup has has definitely helped this team a lot uh, since uh, since his return off a uh, off an injury reserve. And I think um, you know their defensive line has been playing great. They've been having they've been averaging over two. Uh, they've been averaging over three sacks over the last over the last five games. And uh, even though Jameis Winston is, I mean, he has 22 touchdowns and 20 interceptions, they still find ways to win the game. They still find ways to put a lot of points up on the board. And so I'm going to take Jameis Winston and uh, the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and that sunshine, uh, sunshine being down there. And I'm going to take them in a high score game of uh, 34 to 28. All right. Mm, okay. okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. I, I, I think it's going to be cool, man. I, I hope Jacoby Brissett – uh, really performs well, but Tampa Bay is is top five in, in rushing defense, and uh, they can sit and they continue to improve week in and week out since uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. So um, I, that's the only reason why I want to take them is just solely because their defense is improved. So me and uh, Drug going with Tampa while Arthur staying with the Colts. So let's go ahead and move to the Broncos at Texans four and eight. Now Drew Locke got his first victory. Texans eight and four coming off a big victory over the Patriots. Is anybody buying into the Drew Locke magic? Can the Broncos pull the upset in Houston? What say you, Jarrell? Absolutely not. I think <laughs> Houston is Houston is running on all cylinders at the moment. Um, when you get a big win against a, a guy a team like the Patriots and you have opportunity uh, to build some continuity off of that, you go into the week, um, your moves are that much smoother, uh, the protecting and the calls are that much louder um, when you have opportunity to to beat an opponent like uh, like New England and so I don't necessarily see them coming, um, coming in and, and winning the game against the, uh, against Houston, and um, and so I have Houston winning in a, in a score of uh, twenty eight to fourteen. Mm, okay, okay, okay. So for me, man, I'm agreeing a hundred percent. The Texans got to get that job done. They're hot right now. They're coming off the big win versus the Patriots. I don't think this is even close. I got them winning thirty to fourteen. Yeah, I'm with you. I got the Houston Texans winning 26-16. Too much Deshaun Watson. That defense from Houston playing good as well. Next game, Chargers at the Jaguars. Both teams 4-8. and eight. Now Gardner Minshew is the starter, so Nick Foles, the $88 million man to the bench. Give me the Jags to win and Minshew in a start where he goes out and he plays well. 20-13, Jags over the Chargers. Yeah, man, I like that as well, man. I think the the Jags definitely get the job done. We talked about how Phillip Rivers and that Chargers offense has been struggling. So with that being said, man, I like the Jags. Give me them. Uh, I'll go 
I'm thinking 17-10 though. 17-10 Jags. Yeah, I like I like that pick as well, man. Um, Phillip Rivers is, hasn't really looked good at all this year. 15 interceptions, 17 touchdowns. Um, Gardner Minshew, for some reason, gives this team a lot of life. And I just think that, you know, uh, they're going to find they're going to find a way to, to, to be excited about this matchup coming uh, uh, up against the Chargers. And so um, I personally have uh, I have the Jaguars winning in a score of uh, 21 to 17. I hope I hope to see Tyrod uh, get an opportunity to play in this game because it's going to actually uh, increase the uh, the popularity of this game because you have two scrambling quarterbacks that are able to make plays down the field. And so I think it would be great to see an opportunity uh, for Tyrod to go out and, and, and play in the, in the Sunshine State, man. So we'll see. Titans at Raiders. Give me the Titans to win this one, but close. 21-17, they're at the black hole, but I think Derrick Henry's too much for Oakland's leaky defense. So I like the Titans to roll again to 8-5. and five. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, man. I think the Titans definitely get it done. We know Oakland has struggled. They've been very inconsistent. So with that being the case, I'm going to Titans. I'm going 24 to 10. Man, this this was a tough game to choose, too. Uh, you know, playing at the black hole, it's I mean, the, the fan base is crazy, obviously. And then, uh, you know, when you have uh, Gruden and what they've been able to do at home, uh, they actually have a pretty good uh, record when it comes to playing at home. But, you know, the Tennessee Titans and the formula that they figured out is give the ball to Derrick Henry, third and short, we'll, we'll give it to Ryan Tannehill, make some good plays. And so I'm going to also take the, the Tennessee Titans as well. But I think it's going to be a lot closer game than what people think. And uh, it's, and I think both teams are going to be held under 20 points. So I, I have I have the Tennessee Titans winning in a score of 17 to 10. Chiefs at Patriots, 8-4 Kansas City taking on the Patriots, 10-2. Give me the Chiefs to go on the road in Foxborough to win and knock off Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I like them to take it 31-24 to over New England. I actually like that score a lot. I do think that the Chiefs can definitely move the ball. We talk about Patrick Mahomes, so with that being the case, man, give me the Chiefs winning it. And I'm going to say a score of 28 to 21. Man, y'all got to be out your mind if y'all think <laughs> 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 Hey, man, look, so look, I've never seen a team be 10 and 2 and be this talked about, you know, this talked about as far as, um, you know, under underachieving. And obviously, we know the Patriots way is a lot of diff- is a very different way than. Uh, when it comes to uh, than other teams, but when you when you talk about being at home, uh, they have a over a 60, 70 percentage winning. They over have uh, they have a over 70 percent winning record when it comes to playing at home. Like these guys don't lose at home. Um, Andy Reid has had his uh, his share of losses when it comes to Belichick and uh, especially being at home and on the road. Uh, and so I just think that the that the Patriots are going to come out with their best game plan that we've seen up to this point offensively for the year and Tom Brady is going to find a way to to come through in a big game that, in which they need um, to push forward for home field advantage and and they um, throughout the league and so I have them winning I think it's going to be a high scoring game but I think Tom Brady is going to find a way to get the ball uh, late and um, I have them winning 37 to 34 I think it's going to be electric and it's going to be exciting um, but I find I think that the Patriots are going to find their 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 niche uh, this week uh, as far as uh, uh, success on offense. That should be a really good game. America's game of the week at 425 p.m. Eastern time. Now, for those of you who are listening, Arthur Motes, our boy who joined us, he has a radio commitment coming up. So he had to go. So it's me and Jarrell here as we close out these picks. 
But Steelers at Cardinals, Jarrell, 7-5 Pittsburgh. We talked about the job Mike Tomlin has done. The Cardinals 3-8-1, Kyler Murray. They're coming off a game where they were just absolutely obliterated by the Los Angeles Rams. I think Pittsburgh goes in Arizona with Duck Hodges. They keep up this momentum, so I like Pittsburgh to win 23-17 to over the Arizona Cardinals. Who are you taking, Jarrell? Yeah, I'm gonna say the I'm gonna take the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. I think that they uh, that they smell the blood in the water and they realize that the type of opportunity that they have that's in front of them. Um, they want to meet Baltimore at the end of the year. They want to have that game at the end of the year to decide their division. And I think that they're that they're focused and they're uh, motivated towards moving towards that. And I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to have every opportunity this week in order to get another win. Um, you know, uh, the Arizona Cardinals are eliminated from playoff contention. And so they're going to just be out there uh, playing for, for the joy of, of the game when the team is on the other end is going to be focused on trying to make a playoff run. And so, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm speaking about that to don't let this uh, this game be a trap game. And so I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to have an opportunity to win um, in a score of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I have them winning in a score of 24 to 17. We have a big one on Sunday Night Football, the Seahawks 10 and 2, who are now atop that NFC West after knocking off the Vikings on Monday night. And so real quick, Arthur Motes, he sent me a text. He also wants to uh, make sure I give his picks. He's got the Steelers over the Cardinals as well. Uh, and then he's also, he's got he's got the Seahawks over the Rams, 21-17. And so that's, yeah. that's the game we're on. He wants to make sure his picks are heard on the podcast. Hey, hey shout out Arthur, man, for staying diligent and staying uh, focused, man, on the task at hand. Never let the work uh, go by the wayside, man. So shout out, shout out your pick, man. Yeah, man. He's like, I gotta make sure my picks are still out there. So he's <laughs> he's rolling with the Seahawks. Okay, yeah. I'm actually gonna roll with the underdog, Jarrell. I feel like the Rams. They're seven and five. They're backed in to a corner. They understand the importance of this game and what it holds for their playoff hopes. And I know they've been very vulnerable on defense, but they're at home. L.A. Coliseum, Robert Woods coming off a big game. I like for them to take care of the Seahawks, twenty-six to twenty-three. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you, man. I think that the Seahawks have been riding on such a wave um, as of late, and I mean, obviously, it's a test to you know how well they've been playing defensively. Uh, the pressure with Clowney and Bobby Wagner and and uh, Ziggy Ansah, I mean, I thought that was one of the – I thought the, putting pairing those two together, those big bodies, was one of the greatest uh, pickups and exchanges of the offseason as far as the general manager is concerned. But I think, um, you know, obviously, like you said, the Rams being at home, the back is against the wall. These are the return – these are the return uh, – the reigning NFC champions. They're going to find a way to beat – to win this game. Aaron Donald knows the Seattle uh, offensive line. He knows what he's going to be able to do and what he's not going to be able to do. If he can stay under control and not give up the, the the big rushing lanes in which he can in which he's done before in the past, um, and give this team a, a chance uh, defensively, I think that um, if he can get them into a lot of third and long situations, we know what he brings to the table. And so, I, I actually uh, I actually have the Rams winning as well. I think it's going to be a close one though, extremely extreme close one, twenty seven to twenty four. 
they've always uh, had an opportunity to win and, and plan in the night game out there uh, in, at a, in the L.A. Coliseum. You know, all the stars are going to be out. You know, all the, the superstars will be there. Uh, you see YG, Snoop Dogg, all those guys. And so I think the Rams are going to be amped up and excited. So, Jarrell, the final game of Week 14. Now, it broke while we've been recording this podcast, Jarrell, but Coach Pat Shermer for the Giants announced that Eli Manning is likely to start against the Eagles because Daniel Jones is dealing with a high ankle sprain. He's unlikely to go. So perhaps the last hoorah for Eli Manning with the Giants on Monday Night Football. The Giants are 2-10. and The Eagles are 5-7. and Still just a game back of the Cowboys for the, the NFC East lead. Who are you going to take now that you know that Eli Manning is under center? Man, if I have to talk to you, talk about this division, I mean, it literally seems like no one wants to win this division. Like, uh, I mean, the Redskins, they might as well go ahead and try to run the table. Like, but it's just like, it's so funny to watch these teams compete because uh, there's been so much, uh, so many, so much media coverage swirling uh, this, this entire division, this, this whole season where there's Dwayne Haskins, Eli Manning, Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, all the quarterbacks have been on display um, all year as far as having negativity in their corner. And so I personally, if I'm the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles, you haven't seen, you have a guy that hasn't played all year. All he's been getting is the practice reps where guys have been kind of essentially flying around his face. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're on the defensive end in the New York Giants, you know, you're not coming anywhere close to, def- to Eli Manning. And so I'm licking my chops to see a guy that's been on the bench all year and wants to come out and have an opportunity to play. We're at home, and it's a big game. And so I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles in a landslide, um, 31-10. to 10. I'm going to take the Eagles still. I know Eli Manning's back, so they may have a little bit more success to the air. But the Eagles, the front seven, as you just said, Drill, they'll get after the E-Mobile Eli Manning. 23-13, I have the Eagles taking care of business at the link on Monday night. Now, I did miss one game. And by the way, uh, Arthur wanted me to share his pick for this game. He's got the Eagles over the Giants, 20-13. But the game that we missed, Jarrell, and it's because I got caught up with that Niners-Saints matchup, but the 3-8-1 Lions taking on those 8-4 Vikings. This is a 1 p.m. Eastern time game. I have the Vikings big, 34-13 over the Lions. And I think Minnesota, they're going to come out playing angry considering how the game against the Seahawks ended. And as for Arthur... He's got the Vikes winning 28-14 over the Lions. Who do you have taking this one? Yeah, the Vikings as well in double digits, um, 30-13. I just think that the Vikings are going to come out angry, as you said before. Um, It's very tough to win up in Seattle for some strange reason, man. I don't know why when they play on big games, big nights, and they have a chance to have the whole entire world watching, for some strange reason, yeah, the, the, the winning percentage is always going in their favor. They always have opportunity to uh, to come out on top, man. I know being in Buffalo, uh, we had a we had an opportunity to win the game up there late. We was some it was some missed calls and, and we ended up losing the game late. Uh the uh the fail Mary being up there, uh <laughs> the onside the onside kick being up there, like having <laughs> I've had my share of losses uh up in Seattle. It's an amazing place to play. And, uh, and I, I mean, I mean, not, um, yeah, what, what, I'm sorry. Uh, Seattle, it's just, it's a, it's a crazy place, man. And, and I think that, um, 
you know, it's always going to be a, a crazy and exciting place. And I, so like I said before, man, um, I think that the, the Vikings are going to come out and dominate uh, the Lions. And I think that, that they're going to have their share of, uh, of, of get back this week. Yeah, man, it looks like we both got the Vikes big as well as Arthur. So that's going to do it for today's podcast, man. I enjoyed it having Arthur on and getting another player with you, Jarrell. It's always fun to chat football. I can't believe we're already in week 14 of the NFL season. Looking forward to a couple of these monster games with playoff implications on the line. So again, Jarrell, I appreciate your time, man. It's good to be back. We had that off week during Thanksgiving, but we're rolling as we move into playoff season. Yes, sir, man. I think it's an amazing time. Like I said before, man, when you start to get down to the nitty gritty of the NFL season and you come down to the last four or five weeks, you really see some of the best displays of and, uh, of, of great performances. And, and I'm excited to see a lot of these games coming up. Um, obviously, the Saints, the Saints and 49ers, the Chiefs and uh, Patriots. Uh, you have uh, the Ravens. Um, taking on Buffalo. Um, it's going to be a, some exciting football to watch, man, coming up this weekend. Hopefully everybody got their popcorns ready. And uh, fans, continue to send in those questions. We know we didn't get a chance to get to you this week, um, but we really appreciate your support. And, you know, we only go as far as they go. So we appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well said, Jarrell. Thanks again for all of you listening in to this week's episode. We will see you next Wednesday as we do on the Pro Football Chase podcast. So until then, have a blessed rest of the week, everybody. Jarrell, take care, man. Appreciate it again, Isaac. Always a cool time. And uh, let's get it again. Let's get it again next week, bro. All right. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.